Welcome to Reimagined. I'm your host, Dr. Alex Swenson-Ridley, the founder of Emergent Women Coaching and a woman on a mission to help other heart-centered women leaders and entrepreneurs alter their experience of business and life from one of sacrifice and burnout to unadulterated joy and freedom. This is the show that gives you the inspiration and permission to break all the rules. We help you tap into your intuition, your zone of genius, and creativity to give you the confidence and clarity to do things differently. And we give you the tools and stories that will inspire you to rejuvenate your spirit, innovate how you lead and do business, strengthen your core identity, and connect deeply to yourself so that you emerge as the next powerful version of you. Ready to dive in? Let's go. Hello, welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Alex, and I'm really excited to be joined today by Brigitte Kufele, who is a German female-based business owner that lives the American dream. She's the owner and founder of two educational institutions, one for children, the Montessori, which is at MontessoriCleveland.com, and one for adults, the CenterofNLP.com. Why have two opposite educational facilities? Because children are innocent by nature. It's the adults around them that shape the growth and potential in each child. Brigitte is a tenacious and fun grandmaster. And by strategically leading leaders from the heart, she creates a legacy unlike anything you have ever experienced. So Brigitte, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This is going to be a great show. Yeah, I'm excited. And actually, I... I, I missed the piece about children actually when I was first looking at your stuff. So I'm excited about that because it's so true. And, you know, maybe we can start off kind of there, you know, our, we shape our kids like hugely and we have been shaped by our parents and there's a lot to unpack there. But before we, you know, dive into, dive into all of that, um, I'd love to hear just a little bit of your journey, both how you ended up in America and, you know, what's brought you to doing the work that you do in the world. Yeah, so uh, let me start with the second question first. What yeah. what and and it leads into the first question. Um, the reason why I do what I do is I I felt like I wasn't I didn't have the attention or the the platform to be heard when when I was growing up and I went to you know public German public school um, and I never fit in like ever. It, it was always, you know, Brigida, you are this square piece of cylinder that we're trying to fit into this round opening and this is pounding. And no matter how hard they were pounding, I never fit because I, I I literally like said, no, I don't want to fit. I do not belong into this, <laughs> into this opening. Do not put me in a box. I do. Children don't belong in boxes. They don't belong in yeah. holes pegs and anything like that they're they're very creative and and um holistic little creatures all in themselves we cannot just go well all children are the same nor not all children are the same nor are all, all adults the same we cannot be put in boxes and out of that growing up i wanted to make a difference in my children's lives and you know, I was gr- growing up. Um, you know, when I was in my mid mid twenties, I finally uh, stopped dating, and I said, "Screw all of that! I'm just going to have kids. I don't need a man to have kids. I just, you know, did, just want to do it on my own." It was just too much drama on that end. 
And um, I did marry after that. I actually found mm-hmm. the love of my life and we've been married now for 21 years. But all, all that to say, I wanted to make a difference in children's lives. That's That was my goal, wanting to have children and having children and then building the Montessori school. Of course, first of all, going, you know, getting the degrees and having the yeah. the um, the diplomas. But that was that that's that that's what Brigida breathes and lives. That's that's why I'm here. And that's why we took the the um, calling of leaving Midtown Munich. My husband and I lived in Midtown Munich when we had our first daughter, Amelie, mm-hmm. to we wanted her to go to Montessori school. And um, I was I was very involved in, you know, uh, climbing the uh, German corporate ladder. My husband as well. We both worked in publishing houses and different publishing houses in Munich. And I wanted our children to go to Montessori school, being an educator myself. And there was like no openings for three years when she was a baby. And I said, well, wait a minute. I have a teaching degree. So what will it take me to to add the Montessori degree on that? So long story short, I added the Montessori degree on that. And then we just packed up and said, hey, if we wanted to move to the States or abroad anywhere, we might as well do it now when she's little. Because, you know, once she's in school, she's going to have her own social environment Mm -hmm. and her friends. And and it's going to be a lot harder to move her somewhere else. So we just wanted to do that for a few years. And I just, you know, wanted to have for our daughter and then our second daughter to have a different outlook in life in education. And here we are 20 years later. <laughs> here you are. Love it. So I'm curious from your perspective, what do you use Montessori? Cause I'm also a mom. I, I have a 10 year old that I homeschool right now, actually. Um, and you know, each child is unique. So what led you towards that route? Just um, this is to, like Towards Montessori? Yeah, yeah. Well, Maria Montessori, when I went through my um, education science and, and, and got my education degree, I was, you know, we just briefly uh, looked at other methodologies of education. There was the Waldorf education with Steiner. There was Maria Montessori. And I was like, I remember being in class like, whoa, wait a minute. What? You mean that Maria Montessori was a woman already in the 1930s who kind of pioneered that each child is unique and individual and creative and and that there's no malicious child. There's only, you know, malicious environments or environments that make the child frustrated and rebellious and and shapes their behavior of that. I want to learn more about that. So I started reading on Montessori because, you know, even in German schools, we we didn't spend a whole lot of time on Maria Montessori, probably spent maybe a week on it. Um, but that really got me interested. And I thought, and I, I remember asking my mom back then, why did I not go to a Montessori <laughs> school? Now, mind you, I grew up in a 600 people village outside of Stuttgart. It was absolutely gorgeous. And glorious with vineyards all around. I couldn't wait to get the heck out of there. It was just too close, <laughs> too narrow-minded, too closed mm-hmm. in, you know, all of that. And my mom said, there were no Montessori. We had one kindergarten in like 50 kilometers. There were no Montessori schools, right? So, of course. Yeah. And our parents yeah. always do the best that they can with the resources that, that they have. Exactly. 
yeah. So I was just curious um, your perspective from that because we actually in Alaska where I am we actually have two Montessori schools and you can go up through eighth grade anyways in the Montessori program. But yeah, um, yeah, it's always yeah. We're we're just establishing. We used to call it the H word. Now we're actually naming it the way that it is. We are actually establishing a high school in the school that I have founded and developed and still in the, uh, in, in the, in the operational side of it. So, yeah, and it's, it's a big, it's a big undertaking, uh, going all the way up to high school. Yeah. I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. So we have that part of your journey and then there's also the stuff that you do with adults and, um, NLP, which is neuralistic, uh, neuro-linguistic programming and other things. So um, let's kind of dive into that because, you know, we're talking a lot on this podcast or show about connecting with our intuition and leading ourselves and our families and our kids and our teams and our businesses from that place. So I'm curious to pick your brain on that. Yeah, the intuitive part is also the the holistic part because as I was building Mm -hmm. the business and as I was starting to naturally coach parents because they would come to me and they would say, wait a minute, Brigida, it looks and sounds like you have a different child in school than I have at home. What the heck is going on? Right. (laughs) So then I would naturally start to coach some of these parents and we would look at nutrition. We would look at, you know, sleep and all of that good stuff. Mm -hmm. And out of all of those, you know, many hundreds of hours, I found a very a simple, um, a a very simple thing. And that is our children are innocent by nature. It's the adults around them that either screw them up or shape them. They're going to be shaped no Mm -hmm. matter what, if we, you know, so if we have limitations in our, and when I say we, I mean, adults, may they be parents, thought leaders, teachers, religious leaders, aunts, uncles, friends, So if we have limitations, and we all have limitations in our communication, in our language, in the way that we are, then we are going to model that if we want to or not to our kids. Mm -hmm. So to quote Whitney Houston, you know, she believes, and I believe the children are our future, treat them well and let them lead the way. Yes, I agree with that. But that's putting a whole lot of pressure on our kids. We got to do our yeah. job. The adults got to do our job to actually be good leaders, be good role models in what it means to have great behavior, what it means to, you know, do whatever we want our children to do. Well, we got to not just talk the talk. We got to walk the walk. Yeah. Yeah. And Absolutely. and out of that, I became highly fascinated with human behavior, communication. Um, and for my own business, I, I went to continuous, you know, learnings and educational trainings. And I continue to do that because I believe leaders are learners. Mm-hmm. And I found NLP. And um, back then, we, we used to lived in Tennessee. So um, our uh, mentor, and neurolinguistic programming lived at the time in Atlanta. And he was the one that developed the center of NLP back in 1986. And then I learned from him over years and years and years over a decade. And uh, I went, then I was invited to speak on stages around the world with um, the largest self-development company in the world. And he was watching all of that. Little did I know that he was watching. And Mm -hmm. one day he calls me up and his name is Life. What a great name. 
Uh, he's yeah. Danish. And uh, life says, I said, hey, life, um, I'm actually coming to Atlanta. You want to grab coffee? He goes, that's awesome. I'm actually moving to South Carolina. You want to buy my business? That is literally <laughs> how the conversation went. And I'm like, oh, oh, well, okay. Well, sure, let's talk. I don't know what that looks like. So yeah. we talked and here I am and I'm carrying on that, that torch. And I bought the business. We built it out, um, grew it significantly. And I'm still in contact with life. Big shout out to him. And uh, yeah, the center of NLP was one of the first centers in the United States going in direct lineage to Richard Bandler, who's the founder of NLP or the co-founder. Okay. Very cool. And let's, if you're open to it, let's dive into what NLP is a little bit. Cause I, um, in a previous life before I realized that healthcare really isn't my jam and not where I want to be. I had also in top of chiropractic done a PhD in integrative and natural medicine. Um, I did everything but write the dissertation. But so we learned some NLP stuff in there. And I know there's a lot in, you know, the power of our language and, you know, our, our thoughts and all that. So maybe you can dive yeah. into like, you know, basic version, is. like what is NLP? How can it help serve us? And, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And that. and people ask me, you know, what, who is NLP for? It's for everyone that has eyes, ears, and a mouth. So let's, yeah. let's take it apart. NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming. It's a mouthful. Neuro <laughs> is our brain. It's our operating system. It's where we store information. It's where information um, or, or our thoughts are originating. Um, so as good or as bad our thoughts are, that's how good or bad our results are. To not put a judgment <laughs> on it, but just to put some words to it. So neuro, the operating system, feeds our language, feeds our communication. That's the linguistic, that's the L part of NLP. It's the linguistic part. And a lot of people think that communication is just the words that we're saying, but it's so much more. In our communication, our communication is made of three parts, words, tonality, and body language. And when they're <laughs> out of whack, we're out of alignment, then we, our intuition might say, hmm? I can't put my finger on it, but something's off, right? That's how yeah. a lot of people are, specifically women. You know, they would go out of a conversation. They're like, I don't know what it was, but something didn't feel right. Mm -hmm. That is your subconscious mind telling you that it picked something up. But in your neurology, you don't have any, um, you don't have a baseline or you don't have any reference points to actually literally put your finger on it and say, that's the limitation or that's what what kind of gave you a bad taste in your mouth when you were listening to yeah. that conversation or when you were in that conversation. So that's the linguistic part. The programming part is the behavior. So our thoughts lead to our communication and the communication mm -hmm. shows up in our behavior. And it also, our the way that we communicate also has an effect on other people's behavior. Right. So as a parent, as uh, teachers, NLP is a big, big, big piece as a leader, as anyone that is doing anything. NLP is the meta program of our language. It is the, it's the foundation. And if mm -hmm. we're not in, if we're not intentionally putting it together, our communication, our thoughts, our beliefs, our patterns, our behavior, then we're just going to go to default of things that we learned through our imprint phase when we were growing up between age zero to age seven, and then all of the beliefs that we continue to 
tell ourselves because we're our greatest suggesters because we're constantly suggesting things to ourselves. There's no resistance to when we, you know, suggest things to ourselves. Oh, you know, I don't Mm -hmm. look good or I don't feel good. And therefore Mm -hmm. that creates your reality. So that's the, that will show up in your behavior. So your inner will eventually show up in your outer world. That's basically Mm -hmm. in a nutshell, what NLP is. I love it. Uh, Okay. So now we have lots of things to unpack, especially as women in leadership and like most of us are parents as well. And so we can, you know, dive into the dynamics with our kids. But I think also looking at like a lot of my experience, and so I'll just share with you briefly, it was on my podcast, Noel, but I, I graduated from chiropractic school, had a baby like right away, not part of the plan, ended up building a seven figure practice as a single mom with a kid under five. But a lot of how I did it, led to me completely burning out. And so eventually I ended up totally burnt out physically and emotionally like injured and bankrupt at the end of all of of that. And so much of that was the resistance that came up in how I led my team, my patients, myself, my kids. And a lot of this comes up in what you're talking about with NLP, because there's the, you know, as women, there's, I think there's this like expectation of leadership and kind of that, you know, very direct dominant communication type that doesn't actually come naturally to a lot of us as women, especially if we're empathetic. And so I've had to learn a lot. And that's what this podcast really got launched, you know, rebranded around is like, how do we be ourselves and still lead in a way that's powerfully and communicate that effectively so that we're not walked all over or, you know, taken advantage of, which is something I experienced a lot. So I would love to just get your thoughts on that piece. Yes. Oh my gosh. That that is absolutely my wheelhouse. So, you know, people, when they come to me and and we start working together, they, they feel like they have this sense of, I need to become someone else. I need to, I need to do it differently because like you said, I need to be really, you know, rigid and straightforward and to the point and, 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 and do it in a really harsh and hard way. Yeah. Well, just because exactly who says <laughs> by, by whose standards exactly. So we can model what well, we, we choose. Who do we want to model? One of my, one of my favorite models that I like to model is Brene Brown, right? She mm-hmm. did a great Ted talk many years ago on vulnerability, did several other talks um, since then has great books, daring greatly. One of them. And she models it differently. And she is known to be an incredible leader. I'd rather model her than, you know, some a-hole that is, you know, speaking from stage and trying to bulldoze over everyone. That's not who I am. That might speak to someone else. And if I need to, and I am speaking to a personality type like that, Mm -hmm. I can, I can plug into that kind of energy, that doesn't make me inauthentic. That makes me flexible. Yeah. And one of the, one of the great laws of NLP and there, there are over 50 laws in NLP, but one of the greatest laws in NLP is the law of requisite variety. And that states the person with the most flexibility controls the system. Now I want to speak to the control really quick. Control Mm -hmm. does not mean manipulate. Control does not mean rigidness. Control means that there is a win, 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 a win for you, a win for me, and a win for the greater good. 
right? Yeah. If it's not a win, 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 because I always look at that three part win. If it's not a win, 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 we got to fix something. Mm-hmm. So that's the control part. So the person that has the most behavioral flexibility, and as I said earlier, in order to have behavioral flexibility, we must have flexibility in how we think. We always have a choice in any moment that we are. So when I meet someone that is like super high energy, super rah-rah, I can meet them where they're at. And because I'm really Mm -hmm. good at what I am, I can lead them to actually see the world also from my view. But first I lean in and see the world from their view. Yeah. And I I think, especially nowadays, you know, with social media and everything going on, I think we kind of lost that. Because everyone says, mm-hmm. hey, you over there, come over here. It's much better yeah. over here. But that's not how it works. Yeah. Well, and that's like, you know, marketing 101 that I think a lot of us have forgotten. It's not like yelling at everybody. It's like, hey, I understand you. And I, you know, meet you where you're where you're at. And since we've gotten on behind screens, I think you're right. A lot of us have forgotten. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's, yeah, it's a, it's building rapport. It's building relationships. And, and when I say building rapport and building relationships, not just for the sake of, Hey, you buy my stuff, but for Mm -hmm. this, for the, for the sake of, I want to be of service to you. I care about you. I might not know you in person. We might be on two Mm -hmm. separate, you know, sides of the world and I care for you. Yeah. And that's so missing. And I, you know, I find like a lot of my positioning around the idea of intuition is like, we're so disconnected from ourselves and from everybody else. And, you know, a lot of this, like in order to engage in leadership in this way, and this was something I did finally figure out in like the last year of business before my body was just like, yeah, no, we're done. Sorry. (laughs) Like this is all over. But I, I learned, I finally like got clear on the different personalities of my team and I learned how to you know, meet them where they were first and to adapt my communication style based on how it would land with them and all of that. Um, but we actually have to know ourselves first in order to get there. <laughs> so. Yeah. Oh, you know, yeah. and, and that's a, that's a, that for some people that might be a, a hard thing to look into the mirror or, or a, mm-hmm. a bitter pill to swallow of, cause when we look at ourselves, we're going to see flaws. And then we can decide which of these flaws am I going to embrace and which of these flaws am I ready to reframe or let go of and and replace it with something that might be more supportive to me. It's so much easier to point fingers outward and go, but you have to change and you got to do this and you and they, oh my God. Yeah. That's not how change happens, though. Change happens only with what you can control. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's easy to pay lip service to the idea of, you know, you can't change other people, but how many of us continually, you know, we know that, but we still approach things from that place where, you know, I I learned fairly early on in my own kind of journey through leadership and education and stuff that a shift in perspective was often, or in how I showed up in the relationship or the situation created the change that I was fighting, like, you know, so hard to have before then. Mm -hmm. So, 
walk a mile in my shoes. Yeah. And that, yeah. that will, that will give you that perspective. And often we can't even, we don't even have a reference point to have that perspective. Um, right. And I had to learn that the hard way when I was on a call, this was in my earlier years when I had the school um, and I was running the day-to-day operations. And uh, I had a call from a, a, a mother who had her three children, three girls in my school. And she was sobbing and she called me to tell me that um, her youngest daughter was diagnosed with leukemia. She was 18 months at the time. And, and it, and it hit me so hard on the phone and all I could, because she's crying, right. It's still a very emotional moment, although it's almost like 17 years ago that this happened. Mm -hmm. And all I could say is I understand. And I wanted to, I really wanted to, you know, absorb her pain because I felt her pain because I, I couldn't understand. I have two healthy children at home. I cannot understand this pain of this, of this mother. And all I kept saying is that I understand. And eventually she just went completely ballistic on me and she yelled at me. She says, you cannot understand. Stop telling me that you understand. And she's right. You know, I, I felt so bad. And she's absolutely right. I had no reference point. All I could yeah. relate to is the pain that I'm thinking she might be feeling, but there was no way I could understand to this day. Yeah. And I felt really bad. And that's when I learned, okay, the word understand needs to go bye-bye. Uh, mm-hmm. I, sometimes I truly understand when I have a reference point, but other than that, I'm going to use the word relate. Interesting. Yeah. And I think that's what, you know, we're the power of our language and the words that we choose. Like if you can become really aware of them, it becomes very, I'm going to use interesting. <laughs> Just go with that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and, and that, and that's where the flexibility comes in again. Cause if I were yeah. rigid, you know, I would say, but I do understand. No, I don't understand. I can, I could right. maybe relate somewhat. Yeah. Yeah. So the more the more insight we have into our own how we we delete, distort, and generalize information and how we are structuring it internally, the more we're aware of that, the more flexible we can become in our communication and in our behavior. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that there's so much power in that. It becomes so much easier to lead and to, you know. Yeah, easy, maybe simpler. It's not yeah, always easy, yeah. simpler. No, but it. I view it as being, and maybe this is you know me with rose colored glasses. But when I finally started to understand some of the stuff when I had a team, I didn't have as much stress and anxiety going into conversations because I was able to not make it about me anymore and <laughs> just meet them where they were at. And so it's a lot of that. Like it gives you the flexibility to not be in your head like you know, what did I do wrong? And this is all my father. How am I going to fix this? And uh, But like, just actually listen <laughs> and be present. And that's where that leaning in that we talked about earlier comes in. So. Yeah. I love, I love the listening because, yeah. you know, um, when, when we talk, especially as leaders, we only hear the same thing over and over again, but when we listen, mm-hmm. we, we learn something new about the other person and then yeah. we can, 
And it's it's never about us. It's never about, it's not personal, right? Don Miguel Ruiz in the four agreements writes it. Don't take anything personal, especially for women leaders. Easy said, harder to do. Yes, definitely. (laughs) Yeah. But that ties into the other four agreement, one of the four agreements, and that is when you always do your best and you truly come from a place of, just let me be resourceful. I might not have all the resources, but let me be most resourceful that I possibly can and be and 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 exude some excellence in my physiology and in my psychology, so in my inward thinking and in my outward behaving, and I, I do the very best, then I can rest assured that, yeah, I, I did that. I, I did it, and I don't have to take anything personal because I did the very best with the situation that I possibly could with the resources available. Absolutely. And I was just going to add to that, you know, there's also a lot of power in when you can listen and can hear the thing where we can own and take responsibility for what we need to own and take responsibility for. And I think another place that we get sucked into as women leaders is trying to be responsible for everything because that's, you know, what societal blah blah has just put on us but it's not true and so it's it's when you can like be clear in that way and listening to relate and learn something new as you said then we can take ownership for what we need to and let the rest go so and doesn't that also come from being a mother you know wanting to have taking responsibility for everything Mm -hmm. and as a mother of now two grown children Eventually, these I equipped my husband and I and the environment that we've created equipped these children to make sound decisions and have all the knowledge that they need to be great citizens in this world. Eventually, it's up to me to let go and say, you you are going to do the very best with the resources that you now have. I cannot take responsibility for everything that you do. I have taken responsibility for, you know, 18, 20 years now. And I think there's great learning in that too, in that transition um, that we don't have to take responsibility for everything. Yeah. And while it's a common saying to say, you know, everything is our fault, (laughs) you know, it's not like they are their own autonomous units and we do the best we can. Yeah, because that gets heavy. Yeah, yeah, like, mm -mm. yeah, that gets very heavy. I don't want to carry that burden. No, I agree. Yeah, I just had an interesting experience because I was back in Vermont where I grew up for a month helping my mom um, get back on her feet from an injury, and it was interesting to watch the dynamics of my son with my parents because, and they're separated but especially with my dad I I just suddenly realized like you know in the world of communication and all this he can be very I know he doesn't mean it but it's like you never do anything right in his world and so he's constantly just and my son is super creative and just like you know head in the clouds like building things and and will never follow instructions or be told what to do and so really interesting dynamic shift of just and a lot of what we're talking about you know in this conversation I'm just thinking about that like you know, as parents had my dad, you know, understood some of the stuff and he's 76 now. So I don't know that he's ever gonna, you know, we'll never say never. Right. But like, 
in just learning how we communicate and we can break some of these patterns that maybe come down from our parents and how they parented and to how we parent. And a lot of times we do things exactly the opposite, but there's always room to do something different. It doesn't have to be, you know, either. And, of those and I want to, yeah, I want to piggyback on what you just said, because it as children, it's not up to us to change our parents, you know, and right. I, I'm guilty of, of wanting that as well at some point, but that, you know, let's be honest, that's not happening. If they choose to do something different, that's their choice, but that has nothing yeah. to do with the child itself. Um, and we can, the only thing that we can do as, as children, as grown children of someone is to break that, to realize, is that something that I want to pass on? I want to continue to model mm -hmm. to the next generation, or do I want to break that pattern and do it, do it differently? That's the only yeah. thing that we can focus on and 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 have control on. Well, that's the only thing that we can control. A lot of people focus on something completely different, but they didn't do that and they're doing this and there goes the fingers again, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up because it's an interesting dynamic to, you know, want to like be like, no, don't do that to my kid too. <laughs> you know, get mad and all that. But I, you know, there's, I think we can model or just have, like, I had an open conversation with my son about, like, this is how grandpa is. And, you know, mm -hmm. you have a choice. And there's great learning. To it. Yeah. Yeah. So, Absolutely. you know, what I said earlier, we delete, distort, and generalize information. And when you are tuned into how people are generalizing, in this case, is, you know, everyone does this always. And it's it it's in it, linguistically you will pick up on those generalizations. Yeah. Um, don't ever do that ever again. Um, I will always do this. Those are all great generalizations, and it gives you once you are tuned in and you are able to decipher those data points in our language in our communication. It will give you a better insight of how someone is structured internally. Yeah. That's very interesting. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, bringing awareness to language in this way helps you actually be engaged and, you know, present and not living so much in our heads or, you know, the running commentary. Like if you're really actually present, you start to pick up some of these things. And yeah. And, and you can, powerful. you can then also, you know, it gives you data points to recover some of those limitations. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, that might be true for what he's saying right now, but I have reference points and I have data points and I have memories of where it was different. So it's not always just that. He's saying yeah. that because it's it's easier for it to be clustered like that and just to blur it out. Yes. Yeah. So it gives you an immediate insight in someone's mindset, in someone's internal representation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is very interesting. Um, so there's like so much more we could go into with this, but in the interest of everyone having time, the last thing I wanted to pick your brain on, because this is something that so many women struggle with, is our inner dialogue that is so negative and just harsh. And this is, you know, especially around, I'm doing a lot of trauma healing myself this year and, and just kind of entered a chapter of like how I relate to my body in that context. And it's like, you know, it's 
almost horrifying the thoughts that we can think and that just come up when you're looking in the mirror or whatever. So I'm curious from, you know, everything you've learned and, and your perspective on this, like how do you start to capture those things and reframe them, as you said, into something positive or even just neutral? Like sometimes we have to start at neutral before we can go to positive. Yeah. I don't, I don't, you know, I, I'm not the one that says everything has to be super positive. It's got to be supportive. It's got to yeah. lead to, it's got to be something if you so choose to, that leads you to what you want, right? So it, reframing is such a simple and and yet such a powerful strategy of NLP. Mm-hmm. But what comes before reframing is the awareness that we're actually having these thoughts. Yeah. And they sneak in because we have been thinking them for so long we first got to be aware that we're actually thinking them. And then when we're aware of, we can also think about, well, shoot, says who? Just like we said earlier, you know, by whose standards? Yeah. You know, and sometimes it just, you know, um, like the other day we have an agreement with our kids and one of our daughters has moved out. The other one's still living with us. We have an agreement that when, we pick something up linguistically, we will challenge that in the other person. And the other day I did something, I can't remember what it was, something with the dog. And I said, oh, that was so silly of me. That was just dumb. And my daughter uh, said, mom, don't say that to yourself. You're not dumb. You're the smartest woman that I can think of. So even though I'm very in tune with things like that, I still have those slip ups and it takes someone it's either yourself yeah. or someone from the outside that challenges that thought. Absolutely. So, you know, working with a consultant, working with a coach, working with someone that will hold you accountable on, is that really want to t- what you want to tell yourself? Is that really how you feel about you? Is that, would you ever allow someone else to talk to you like that, the way that you're talking to yourself? Yeah. Ouch. Like, mm-hmm. oh man, if I think about it that way, well, no, I would never let someone like talk to me like that ever. Mm-hmm. I would get, you know, the nurture will turn nasty in a nanosecond. That is like no bueno. Mm-mm. So it, it starts with yeah. awareness. Yeah. And it, it can, you know, journaling of, you know, I look in the mirror and I look at my body. Here's what I'm telling myself. Mm-hmm. And, and writing that down and seeing what that does to you and then finding, okay, so this is the first step in awareness and writing that down. How can I say this in a nicer way to myself? Or what is it that I really want? So if someone looks in the mirror and says, you're fat to, you, to themselves, right? Mm-hmm. I hate you because you're fat, you're ugly. And you can see the whole body, like the whole behavior is ugly. Well, there's a reason why someone's saying that to themselves. Maybe they don't feel loved. Maybe they've heard that growing up, you know, Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of trauma that's triggered through that. What would you rather tell yourself when you look in the mirror? And it does, like you said, it doesn't have to be anything, you know, beautiful that you, that you have an immediate reaction of that's not true. You can say, you can tell yourself, I love you. Or you can tell yourself, hey, you know what? Today, I actually tolerate you. I don't hate you. I tolerate you. 
So rather than going, doing like a 180, yeah. do a, do it in increments, but you got to do it. If you say, if you go from, I hate you to, I tolerate you today, do that in, in a consistent way for at least 30 days, because you're finding data points. You're a belief system is, is, um, is gathering data points to feel confident and 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 certain it's a feeling of certainty that this mm-hmm. is the case so over years maybe sometimes decades someone has told themselves something and they've collected mm-hmm. enough data points to, to feel certain about this certain feeling so in order to change that belief system it's not just a one day uh, okay, I tolerate you today. And then the next day I go back to hating. So th- th- there's got to be a consistency in tolerating and finding data points and evidence to build that belief or to lessen that super negative p- belief into a more ne- neutral belief. And when that belief is lessened a little bit, then we can go into a, okay, so now that I tolerate myself, oh, that's like a clean slate. Now, what are the possibilities? What else can I feel? How else do I want to feel? And then implement that. And then do that over a longer period of time and find data points on that. Yeah, that's really good. And I, you know, it brings up like we have to be willing to, when you're changing your belief system, which is essentially what we're talking about here, (laughs) you have to be willing to take the time to really do it and to, you know, start somewhere where you can commit to it each time. But I've interviewed a woman on the show before. I was just thinking about, you know, she put up post-it notes on her mirror. Um, one of them said, I love you. And I, she shared, you know, she comes from a very heavy trauma background, like did not love herself at, in that moment at all. And it took her a year to be able to say it out loud and actually mm-hmm. believe it. Um, yeah. So those sticky, those sticky notes or, you know, writing it with lipstick on your mirror or whatever. Yeah. Every time you see that, you're actually telling it yourself. And those are all data points. And the more often you see it, the more often you hear it, the more often you think it, those are all data points. So we're trying to lessen the the non-supportive and reframe it with something that's more supportive in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. And something I've learned, and maybe you can share input on that, is, you know, adding something like, I'm ready and excited to love myself I'm ready and excited to feel great in these quotes like you know sometimes you can trick the brain with language as we've been talking about but to where it's like you know you're not jumping to hey I love myself and I look amazing and blah, 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 if you have like not had that dialogue at all but you're ready you're telling yourself you're mm-hmm. ready for that so mm-hmm. and that yeah. shifts your energy as well exactly and 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 that all goes with testing like what mm-hmm. are you willing to accept for yourself which linguistic patterns are you ready to accept and if it's like a you know if someone else suggested to you and you're like no i will never tell that myself well then find something that you're actually able to accept i love what you just mm-hmm. said because it is an i am statement and yet it may be vague i am ready and excited mm-hmm. um it starts with i am and in off, we don't use I am statements in a supportive way enough. And we often use I am statements when we're describing something that we don't like about ourselves. I'm lazy. Yeah. 
I am tired. I am depressed. I am fill in the blank. And when you say I am, that's you're defining your identity. That's who you are. And the more you're making these I am statements, again, more data points of evidence of, well, yeah, if I tell myself that enough times, then I am. I am. Yeah. Yeah. So you choose what you are and what you tell yourself. I have my clients write down whatever comes up for them in the I am statement, write them down. um, And then I have them type it into their their calendar for every Mm. morning when they wake up and put a timer on it. And every evening when they go to bed and put a timer on it, so it pops up on their phone and they actually read it. In the beginning, they'll read it. And eventually it's just a, oh, that's popping up again. Yeah, I know what that says. And they're saying it already naturally in their okay. head. I like it. That's a good trick. So it's a, it, yeah, it's a good yeah. reminder. And it's, 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 again, more data points. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, this has been super fun conversation for me. And we've been, you know, kind of covered a breadth of stuff, but I, I love all of it. So um, in wrapping up, is there anything we haven't hit that you would like to share and also how do women connect with you if they would like to? Yeah. Um, I, I, a big shout out to all women. You have a great intuition. Don't ever let anyone tell you that, Oh, you know, it, it's just your gut feeling. Yes. It, to, to state my husband's um, exclamation, he says, we should actually trademark your gut feeling. So <laughs> you <laughs> trust your Love gut. It. It's your subconscious yeah. talking to you. Yeah. You might not be able to have a logic, and that's where the men come in. They they want to have a logic explanation around it. You don't have to have that logic explanation. Trust it and gather more information. Don't jump to conclusions, but gather more information. So trust your intuition. Um, how do people get in touch with me? Really easy. Brigitte Hufele, B-R-I-G-I-T-T-A, last name Hufele, H-O-E-F-E-R-L-E. I'm the only one Brigitte Hufele out there. Um, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, just find me. All, all the places. Great. Well, thank you so much for just coming on and sharing your knowledge and your passion and all that with us, Brigitte. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. I have a small request. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. This is a huge help to us on our quest to reach even more women around the world. Finally, if you're searching for a free community of women on a similar journey to you, I'd like to invite you to join me inside the free Rise community, hosted off of social media on Circle. Here you'll find connection with other women in a safe and loving space, a weekly book club, live events designed to deepen your inner work journey, and additional resources to support your growth. Visit www.jointherise.co or simply click on the link in the show notes to join me. Until next time, remember to honor and love yourself in each moment. Embrace the challenges life throws at you and continue rising. Rising.